Welcome everyone to the Score Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Boone. Thank you for hanging out with us today as we are just over a week before the regular season kicks off, which means a ton of fantasy drafts are going to be happening over the next seven days and things are constantly changing. We're tweaking the rankings and projections as we get new information. We just had some kind of interesting shakeups, I would say, over the last 24 hours or so with the NFL cutdown day and some other things that were happening around that. So we're going to talk about that today. We're going to go over the biggest risers and fallers from the last month with our guest, one of our favorites and someone who I consider, or at least used to consider a rival, also consider him a friend now. Going back to our time battling it out in the Fantasy Pros Accuracy Contest, it's John Paulson of 4 for 4. He's on Twitter or X at 4 for 4 underscore John. No better person to have on and talk about who we've moved up and who we've moved down based on what we've learned over the last month. So let's get him in here. John, welcome back to the show. I always appreciate you making time for us, especially the closer we get to the season and the busier we start to get. But how you doing, man? How you feeling as we get ready to go on another one of these journeys through the NFL season for the next four or five months? I'm doing pretty good, Justin. Thanks for having me on again. It, you actually catch me at a decent time because most of my major writing uh, in, is done for the month of August. I've got one more article, big article to put out, but I, this is where I just kind of look at the rankings and really digest the news and try to keep up with all the cuts and and everything. So this is actually a good time uh, to, to to chat. So I'm, I'm happy to do it. And we were joking before the show, this is the time of year when we get a lot of calls from people that we might not hear year round from, but during the summer months, during August, especially, we start to get those calls and those texts about what they should be doing with their fantasy teams and with their fantasy draft. Absolutely. Uh, shout out to my friend Tim, who uh, texted me yesterday with a, a few questions about his draft, but I love that guy, so you know, happy to hear from him. Yeah, I was telling you, I got a call about 10 minutes before we started, and I mentioned right off the bat that I was about to record a podcast and I couldn't talk, and that didn't deter my friend whatsoever from continuing the conversation and asking what he should be doing for his keeper league. But I love it. I'm happy to do that with everyone. I know some of the people that I work with feel like they're bothering me with questions like that. Not at all. I love it. There's the odd time, I will say. If somebody wants to talk my ear off at a party for like an hour, maybe that's a little bit too much, but normally I'm happy to talk about it no matter what. And, you know, we got a lot of stuff that we could talk about here. Like I said, we're going to get to the preseason risers and fallers in a minute. We're going to go over the Jonathan Taylor situation, but I just wanted to start by getting your thoughts on cut down day. A lot of moves, maybe not earth shattering developments, but a few things that I think move the needle. So we're recording this on Wednesday afternoon. There's still players who were released on Tuesday who are signing with new teams, but as of Wednesday afternoon and everything we've seen, which move from cut down day stood out the most for you? If you want to mention a couple, go for it. Yeah, I think it was just a, the, maybe a couple quarterbacks that you thought uh, you might have a chance to have some starts this year. Colt McCoy uh, getting cut by the Cardinals. I mean, we kind of saw this one coming with the the trade that they made for, for, for Dobbs, uh, but uh, Bailey Zappi was the other one that kind of jumped out as a pretty quality QB two, real world QB two to get cut. And now they only have, as far as I know, only have one. I haven't checked the news this morning, but only have one quarterback on the roster, Mac Jones. So those to me kind of jumped out. And I'm, you know, I'm wondering about the Cardinals in general. And I think it does, you know, impact the rest of the team as to really how hard are they trying to win games this year? And you know, you you look at a guy like uh, James Conner or Marquise Brown, and in a vacuum, if you think that. Uh, Kyler Murray is going to be back maybe week five or something like that, that those guys could be really nice values in the middle rounds, but are they going to be 
rushing him back or is he going to be dedicated to, to winning if they're 0 and 4 0 and 5 when he returns and looking like they're trying to tank so you know some of these cardinals kind of jumped out as oh they're they're getting rid of their veteran uh, and he wasn't that great last year, but he was their starter. Uh, you, you know, you kind of wonder about how how committed they are to winning. Yeah, and whether they bring Kyler back at all. I know there were some reports saying that, yeah, maybe they will just keep him out for the whole season and try to go full on with the tank. It'll be interesting to see. Definitely, and we're going to talk about some of the fallers. Definitely look at that Cardinals offense as overall just fantasy fallers in my mind over the last month because of those moves at quarterback. And you mentioned the Patriots quarterbacks. It seemed like a bunch of teams were doing that where they were dropping their third or maybe even their backup quarterback and then picking them back up today and throwing them on the practice squad. That's what the Patriots did. They brought back Zappi and they brought back Malik Cunningham, but both of them to the practice squad. So teams just trying to figure out those little loopholes where they can, you know, get an edge. And we know the Patriots are the ones leading the way there. And I teased it earlier, but Maybe the biggest development from Tuesday wasn't the cuts. It was what was going to happen with Jonathan Taylor. Was he going to get traded? Was he not? And it really seemed like it was heading towards a trade. I thought the Colts set that 4 p.m. deadline. Apparently, they were having talks with a few teams, including the Dolphins, who have been the favorites for all the running backs, right? Whether it was going to be Dalvin Cook there or now the Jonathan Taylor thing. Your Packers, John, were apparently in the mix. It was kind of surprising to hear that they were like the secret team that were in trade talks there. But in the end... Indy ends up keeping him, and they also keep him on the pup list, which means he's going to miss at least the first four games. Basically, worst case scenario for fantasy, right? So I moved Taylor way down. I'm curious how you're approaching him, though, in the remaining fantasy drafts that you haven't let people know what should they be doing here with Taylor when we don't know when he's going to be activated. We don't know who he's going to be playing for this year. We don't even know if he's going to be playing at all this season. Seems like both sides are pretty dug in. So what's your outlook for Taylor, John? Yeah, I, I don't know how you handle your uh, projections, but I look at it kind of from a expected games played in a situation like this. And, you know, he went from maybe 12, 13 expected games played with this weird injury or whatever's going on, maybe missing a game because of holdout type of a deal. Uh, to, you know, I dropped him down to about eight and a half expected games to have him missing half the season. So that drops him to uh, RB30 and half PPR. Uh, and even that might be a little high looking at the guys going below him. I might be more inclined to take a AJ Dillon or a DeAndre Swift or a, a Brian Robinson, somebody that can actually help me uh, during the season and just let the other owners in my league or other managers in my league, you know, have that headache of wondering whether or not he's going to play. I think he does make a lot more sense in a big tournament like FFPC main event or you know even in the, the underdog best balls if you're trying to win a tournament because he does have that late season upside if he if he can either come back to the Colts and be relatively happy or perhaps get traded to a team like Miami and and serve as their RB1 there there's there is some upside there but I just you know looking at this short term next month or two obviously the next month is out and then you're just wondering, does he come back? Uh, we, I think we all have to get our uh, CBA hats on and figure out when he might be <laughs> back uh, to, to get that contract told. Because he's you know, going to be a free agent in 2024 if he, if he does get his year of service. And uh, when, you know, does that mean he has to report and how happy is he going to be to come back to the Colts? So it's, it's a really dicey situation. I'm just in a do not draft standpoint with him unless he's dropping to like the eighth, ninth round after uh, there's a lot of talent off the board. Yeah. And you mentioned the, the big wrinkle there, the fact that he's staying on pup. So those four games will actually accrue. So as long as he's on the pup list, he will get those games. And if it's four, then he only needs two more after that. He needs six games for it to be a, a season for it to be counted. So 
we'll see what ends up happening if he does come back and kind of plays up the injury and sits out. We've seen other players do that. And we've talked about that with a lot of these running backs that have these contract disputes that are unhappy that could they miss time during the year if they start to get banged up? Will they maybe sit out some games that they otherwise would have played? Mm -hmm. We really don't know, but you got to keep that in the back of your mind for sure. And it also sounds like we have him kind of in a similar range, like in the RB3 range, all the names that you're mentioning there, Swift and Brian Robinson, that's exactly where I have him in my rankings. But I'll be honest, I'll echo what you said. I just don't really want to take him at this point. And I had a draft the, the day before all this went down And I thought maybe I made a mistake by passing on him where he went, which was like in the late third. And I started to question that a little bit. Well, now I'm very, very happy that I didn't take Taylor and he could turn around. He could get traded. He could end up in Miami after all, and he could finish the season strong as their lead back. But we just don't know with so much uncertainty. I would rather just steer clear. And when we're talking about risers and fallers, which was the theme today, I mean, definitely Taylor, one of the biggest fallers for sure. There's no doubt about that. So let's keep going here on that note. Let's talk about some of the other fallers from the last few weeks. And we can just go back and forth, John. We'll throw out some names. I got a couple that I want to mention. You know, there's some players for sure who disappointed, whose stock's heading in the wrong direction after the summer. I'm going to let you go first with it. Who do you want to highlight as your first faller from the preseason? Yeah, I would say my first faller, and this is mainly due to playing time concerns with Jalen Warren, you know, eating into his backfield touches is Najee Harris. I mean, you're, you're, you're going from a situation where he's the bell cow and likely to see 18 to 20 touches per game uh, behind what should be a really good offensive line. The Steelers have uh, invested heavily in the offensive line over the last couple seasons. Uh, I think they do want to run the ball, but uh, clearly uh, in the preseason, we're seeing Jalen Warren uh, rotating basically on a 50, 50 basis with Harris and uh, you're really, you know, eating into his overall upside if you're if you're getting from an 18 to 20 touch type back to a 12 to 15 touch type back. So he's he's slid down my rankings. He's still an RB two for me, uh, but he you know he was a low end RB one to start, and I'm looking at him right now at RB 14, and it might be uh, still a little bit high on him. And it's the thing where you have to watch the team's actions and not listen to what they're saying because the coaching staff keeps saying, no, no, we're going to be giving Najee as much as he can handle and all this stuff. But every time they're out there, Warren keeps stealing more and more touches. And it makes sense. He looks so explosive. He caught a, a ton of passes last year for a number two back. And I think that could even be higher this season for him. So I agree with you there that Najee is definitely somebody that dropped down a little bit. I'm going to go with some low-hanging fruit for my first one. I'm going to cheat and say two guys. Jerry Judy, who has the injury, of course, and Jamison Williams. And I think these were two guys that, you know, the name recognition we were excited about. Judy gets this hamstring injury, and I know he's not getting placed on injured reserve. At least that's what they're saying. But a lot of the medical analysts that cover this stuff, they've suggested that this could be a longer recovery. We know that serious soft tissue injuries, they can linger. The odds of an aggravation can be high. So Judy, for me, I have him down at wide receiver 46 and somewhere in that range, depending on your scoring settings. And, you know, that's even though it seemed like he was in store for a really good season this year and was going to be the, the number one wideout on that team. I'm just not taking him now unless he falls significantly. And then Jameson Williams, we knew that he was going to have this six game suspension for a while, but it's really coming down to like all the offseason practice reports, training camp, the preseason. I just don't like what I'm hearing. Like, where's the excitement about this guy? You know, he's a first round receiver a year ago, you know, a really good profile coming out. And we just haven't seen or heard anything that makes me believe that he's going to be a standout player and a guy who's going to command targets when he does come back. So it's another one where 
I think the name value is kind of you know higher right now than his actual fantasy value, at least for this season. Yeah, I've been down on both players lately. Uh, Judy, I actually have a wide receiver 70. I'm uh, just trying to get a handle on when, how many games this is going to keep him out. Right now, I have him missing about half the season. It's probably too pessimistic uh, for him, but I also wanted, and this is one of my risers, and if I don't mind, if you don't mind me having a couple of sure, risers. we can spoil one. But uh, Marvin Mims, uh, you know, rose up from that wide receiver 70 area to wide receiver 53 and you can, get, you can get in there pretty easily uh you know sometimes these rookies have a tough time getting on the field in september but he's going to be playing a lot of snaps right away the tim patrick injury uh the judy injury now he's out there with uh Cortland sutton uh we should have a better offense here you know the, the, the practice reports haven't been glowing the preseason reports haven't been glowing about this offense but you know you have a lot of confidence in Sean Payton to sort of right the ship and I don't think Russell Wilson's completely washed so I think Mims as you know wide receiver five type pick is uh one of my risers and you know I, I think it it's it's hard to rank them both kind of where I might take them it's one of those things that, and you know this is doing uh you know full projections and full team projections you just can't uh maybe rank everybody on their upside because uh, otherwise the the broncos have the number one offense in the league that's probably not going to happen so uh, i'm just in a do not draft with judy uh i did hear Schefter uh say some stuff too like you know it's not a report but you know look at all the actions that the, the the broncos are taking it just sounds like he's going to be out longer than what they're planning but they did keep him off a of pup so that that was interesting yeah and i i will mention too that and you kind of hit on it there when you're talking about where you would draft a guy a lot of things factor in including if he does end up being on ir or out and you can throw him in your ir slot depending on you know the settings in your league that's also something to factor in right because then you can mm-hmm. take him and you know that right after the draft you're gonna be able to pick up someone else and that can be really valuable having that extra bench slot so take that into consideration but either way for me I, I haven't gotten much Judy since this injury happened at all uh, who's your next one here we can jump into uh, your second faller yeah I would say throughout the entire preseason and that starts from you know after the draft. Uh, we knew Cor- uh, Calvin Ridley was coming over to Jacksonville. I was a little bit bullish or a little bit bearish on him at the start, thinking you know he's coming off of a basically two seasons off off of football, and how 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 well would he come back? So I was going to limit my you know love for Ridley. I, I loved him when he was you know with the Falcons and was a great separator. I think he had a fourteen hundred yard season, um, and just was concerned about how he would look in camp. And he's looked excellent in camp. Uh, the preseason games, it's been him and Zay Jones in two receiver sets quite a bit. I think the last game maybe that evened out a little bit more. So Christian Kirk has gone from maybe a you know wide receiver, solid wide receiver two down into the wide receiver three rankings for me. Uh, just kind of concerned about his overall playing time. If he's going to be playing behind Zay Jones, that's a big problem for him. We, we figured he'd be behind Ridley, uh, given all the positive practice reports about Ridley and how good he looks. Uh, he's likely going to be the number one target there for the for the Jaguars, and that's going to put Kirk in the number two or number three role. And, and Zay Jones just seems to be out one of these guys that keeps out producing his ADP uh, in the last few years, and I think he might do that again this year. Yeah, completely agree with you there. And that's one of the things from the preseason that sometimes we can get out you know ahead of our skis on evaluating talent, and you know we see some big highlights and people get really excited about a player because of it. But really, it comes down to the playing time and. You know, how a player gets deployed during the preseason and Kirk, definitely somebody that I think we learned something there that now with Ridley establishing himself kind of as the number one in that offense that now Kirk is going to be used from the, the slot and maybe not out there in two wide sets. And that would be really detrimental to his value. I'm going to mention a guy that I think we 
learned the same over over the preseason. It's Rashad Penny, right? Like going into the preseason, at least I thought that we were going to have a backfield of DeAndre Swift and Penny being kind of the hammer. And then Gainwell would be mixed in a little bit. And over the summer, it really seems like it's Swift number one. It's Gainwell number two. And that Penny's sort of the afterthought, and he might be the one that just gets sprinkled in a little bit in that offense. So I think for me, Penny is just a bench dash now. He's fallen way down my rankings, despite being a pretty talented back and somebody that we were excited about when he first signed there, but things changed. They made the trade for Swift, and now we've learned this, where Gainwell, someone that the coaching staff really trusts, someone that seems like he's going to be deployed in the two-minute offense. So I'm not really sure where Penny fits in without an injury and that's how I think he should be drafted, just as a guy, you know, the very late rounds, maybe you take him and you throw him on your bench and you see if somebody gets hurt during the season and he can get some more playing time, but not somebody that I've been drafting very much, uh, you know, as the preseason went along. Yeah, high upside guy. I, I opened my 99 stats, but a Mitch Ain't One article, uh, which, was pub- <laughs> which was published on July 31st. And, you know, you just look up Penny's uh, advanced stats and they're incredible. Uh, he... He had 100 plus rushing yards in seven of the 10 games where he saw at least 12 carries. He averaged an eye popping 7.39 yards per carry in those games. Among the backs with at least 50 carries over the last two seasons, he led the league in yards after contact per attempt in both 2021 and 2022. So, you know, looking at this backfield, I totally thought we would see him on the early downs. You see DeAndre Swift uh, working in as the third down back and getting some some carries on first and second down then Gainwell is like the third option there. But as things have shaken out, uh, Penny seems to be the number three and they were even talk. And I think, I don't know how serious it was that Trey Sermon might beat him out, but Penny has a lot of talent. So, and he's got a really fragile guy in front of him and Deandre Swift, who's missed quite a bit of time in his career due to injury. So he is a good upside. If he's, if he's going, he's still on the board way late in your draft. He is one of these really uh, appealing uh, attrition plays in the, you know, double digit rounds. Yeah, late round guy or maybe even a, a waiver wire target because he could be someone sure. that gets drafted late and then people drop him after a few weeks if he's not doing much. And then when that injury does happen, boom, he'll be the the main picture on my waiver wire article, no doubt, at that week. Uh, give us one more faller here before we move on to the risers. Yeah, and this is one I'm kind of upset about. It, it hurts. It's Greg Dolchich. You know, you, you, yeah. you, you get through the, the, the OTAs and the, you get a lot of positive comments from Sean Peyton, you know, he went from, you know, oh, we, don't, we don't know if we really want this guy to, oh, yeah, he's, he's got a really good uh, passing uh, profile, receiving profile. He's going to be uh, have a big script in the passing game. And I th- still think it could work out for him, especially if this receiving core remains this banged up. I mean, the Patrick injury and now the Judy injury, they might try to get Dolchich out there more than what they've been showing in the preseason. But again, another preseason loser in that he's not... Uh, seeing as much snaps and, and as many snaps as you would want from a guy who has tight end one type breakout potential. They traded uh, for Adam Troutman, uh, Peyton's guy from New Orleans, who I think is going to be the every down tight end. And they're using Dolchich as a joker. And the question is, you know, how, how many uh, targets is he going to see per route run? If he's got to be really high, if he's going to be a 50, 60 percent type tight end. And it still could work out for him because I think he's got that talent. But it just you want to see him with 70, 80 percent snap share right now if, you, if you're looking at him as a guy who's going to to finish in the, in the tight end one ranks you know in the top 10 or top 12 yeah it's another one i've been let down by too over the last month some other followers before we move on here uh, deshaun watson just not great reports coming out of cleveland about him and how that passing games looked and 
that's compounded by the fact that he wasn't very good last year when he returned from suspension. So that's enough for me to drop him below that tier of Anthony Richardson and Daniel Jones and Geno Smith. I'd rather take all those guys and maybe even you put him in the conversation with the Dax and Kirk Cousins, and you might want to take some guys like that ahead of them. But outside of my QB1s now, where before I thought, you know, in the offseason, in the middle of the offseason, we got some, you know, positive reports, I thought, from OTAs, but seems like all that's gone away in the last little while. And now I'm a little bit worried about Watson's fantasy outlook, even though we know he has the high end upside, but whether he's going to be able to hit on it and how he's meshing with Kevin Stefanski and that entire offense. You know, we'll have to see how that plays out as the year goes along. All right, now we can go to the happier place, Sean. We can talk about the risers. And this is what people really want to know about, I think. So who increased their value and, you know, who should they be targeting in drafts? I will let you go first again. Who do you want to highlight as your first riser from the preseason? Well, I'm going to start with Damian Pierce because he has climbed up from the maybe the low 20s to uh, RB13 for me. Uh, And this is... A lot to do with his preseason activity, playing with uh, C.J. Stroud. I was uh, initially concerned heading into this offseason about the uh, addition of Devin Singletary. It was a, they gave him pretty good money for a running back, and you know Singletary has been pretty effective for the for the Bills over the last few years, and he's a versatile guy that could maybe eat into Pierce's third down snaps. But Pierce has been on the field pretty much the entire time with C.J. Stroud, so it looks like he's going to be a three down back. I don't know if he'll be out there for 350 touches, but we shouldn't be worried about his workload is what I'm saying. And he was on pace for 1,228 rushing yards last year prior to injury, 1,444 total yards. He was fourth in yards after contact per attempt, second in broken tackles uh, per attempt, according to Stathead, and 12th in PFF's rushing grade. So uh, the, the offensive line's not great, but I think you know the addition of C.J. Stroud, really accurate passer, should help this entire offense. And if, if he's out there for three downs, uh, most drives, then uh, he's going to outperform his uh, ADP. Yeah, Pierce was on my list. And in that range that he goes in kind of the, the high-end RB2s for me, I don't know if you have him in the same spot, but mm. it's just a volume game, right? You start to look at some of those players and a lot of those guys like Travis Etienne and other guys that have had somebody else come into the backfield who we saw during the preseason getting work with the first-team offense where – Pierce seems like he's going to be one of the the few workhorses that we have now. So that uh, moved him up in my rankings as well. Uh, I'm going to go with Zay Flowers. And coming out, I had him, you know, fourth among the the rookie receivers. Um, Didn't really have super high hopes because Rashad Bateman was there and they brought in Odell Beckham and obviously Mark Andrews, kind of the de facto number one in that offense. But from what we saw in the, the preseason and the reports coming out, the drumbeat has been absolutely steady for Flowers. People calling him unguardable in training camp. And then he looked good in the preseason. He had a couple catches, one where he really showcased his talent and the yards after catch ability, took one to the house for a 26-yard touchdown. So I'm excited about him having a really strong chance to lead that receiving court, maybe not outproduce Mark Andrews, but to lead that trio of receivers in fantasy production this season. And, you know, I think we're expecting a lot more from this passing game too, with Todd Monk in there, increasing the pace of play, mm-hmm. maybe bringing that more balanced offense to Baltimore. So people should be invested in that Ravens offense. I think there's a big year coming for them. And I think it could be a, a big year for Zay Flowers. He could hit the ground running. Yeah, I've got him as my number two rookie receiver. And that actually brings me to another riser, uh, I do like the Zay Flowers call. Uh, and it'd be interesting to see who would get the most targets if all three guys could stay healthy for the entire season, all three of those receivers, because, you know, Rashad Bateman has a lot of talent. Odell Beckham has a lot of talent, but they've been both missing a lot of time 
uh, in the recent years due to injury. Obviously, Beck, uh, Beckham missing with the ACL, uh, Bateman had the foot injury, but they're both back. So Zay Flowers has some contingent upside, too. If one of those guys gets injured, all of a sudden you have Zay Flowers in probably a number two role or number one role, and uh, you have a fantasy starter. But the guy I wanted to mention that kind of sprung that <laughs> sprung to mind here is Jordan Addison. He's my number one fantasy rookie uh, receiver uh, ahead of everybody. But, uh, you know, I think at the start of the season, when I first initially put out my projections, he came in really, really high and, you know, top 25-ish. And I was uncomfortable with that, given that we just didn't know that much about him as a rookie, how his game would translate to the NFL. Then he had his uh, speeding incident where he was apparently trying to get his dog to the uh, emergency hospital or something uh, and he's driving 140 <laughs> and, and we haven't like and I was a little bit worried that there might be a suspension or something that came along with that it doesn't appear that there is going to be at this point I'm usually pretty bearish on whether or not the NFL is going to suspend they usually do suspend it's one reason I'm a little bit worried about Tyree Kill in the first round is you know maybe there's a two-game suspension or something because of that Marina incident uh, but you know it's been kind of mums the word on it uh, yeah. and certainly with Addison nothing too I mean it was, he was really driving recklessly but it wasn't drunk. It wasn't drug-related as far as we know, so everything's fine. Uh, you know, Running as the third receiver right now in uh, Minnesota camp, but we've seen this story before with Justin Jefferson being kept off the field for B.C. Johnson a few years ago, and I don't think we're going to see that uh, you know, happen for very long for Addison. He's going to you know, take that number two role, probably get most of those targets that uh, Adam Thielen has vacated, and He's a really good route runner. Really, he should really benefit as well from playing alongside Justin Jefferson because he'll be able to see uh, single coverage. And that, this is going to be a bad, uh, bad defense. Lots of shootouts, dome games. Uh, so I really like Addison there at wide receiver 30. Yeah, and I don't know what's going on with TJ Hawkinson. He's been sitting out for a while mm-hmm. with an injury. He might be another one of these guys who's unhappy with his contract and kind of using the injury to uh, sit out during training camp in the preseason. We're going to have to keep an eye on that one because if Hawkinson misses any time during the year or if because he missed so much time in the preseason, if maybe early in the year he's not as involved in the offense as he was late last year, that could be great news for Addison as well. So something to keep an eye on. Uh, two guys I'm going to mention here, are teammates, Deontay Johnson and Pat Fryermuth. And we know Johnson, an elite target earner, over 140 targets each of the last three years. Fryermuth, he's been pretty good for fantasy since coming into the league. Both these guys had just terrible touchdown luck last season. Johnson, zero scores somehow. Fryermuth only had two. But Kenny Pickett appears to be taking a leap forward in his development. Plus, I'm kind of intrigued by the fact, and it's such a small sample size, we can't get you know too crazy about this, but Johnson and Firemuth having much deeper A dots or average depth of targets during the preseason. Maybe this offense is evolving. Maybe with Kenny Pickett being more comfortable, they're going to take more shots. You know, Matt Canada, perhaps he heard some of the criticism when we were all shocked that he didn't get let go and replaced during the offseason. And a deeper A dot, that's the kind of thing that could really help these guys blow up for fantasy. On top of that obvious touchdown regression that I mentioned, that's for sure going to come for them. So I like DJ before the season, you know, he got a bump up based on, you know, how the Steelers offense is looking. And Fryermuth went from someone who I was kind of worried about, to be honest, because there were a lot of mouths to feed and I didn't know, you know, how high the passing potential for this offense can be. I'm willing to draft Fryermuth now because I think Pickett could potentially support many fantasy producers this season. 
Yeah, Fryermuth for sure has risen. I moved him, uh, I think, from nine up to seven. Uh, I'm co-drafting a team with uh, Connor Allen, four for four, and he kind of talked me into Fryermuth. He pulled the stat out where there's nine games where he played 50% or more of the snaps with Kenny Pickett, and he averaged 61 yards uh, per game, uh, 7.4 targets. And that's the type of usage that I want out of my tight end one. I want to have a, a weapon, and he he out-targeted uh, George Pickens in seven of eight games or eight of nine games or something like that. So that's a thousand yard pace and if he can get you know four or five six touchdowns on top of it then we're looking at a you know an easy top five season for him so he's definitely moved up I think Deontay Johnson is a great call I mean I've always been high on him he's like one of my favorite route runners in the in the game I love having him especially in PPR formats because he's always open he's always racking up uh, targets and catches but the one stat I pulled uh, for him that I want to mention is that since the 2010 season there's 50 other receivers who have seen 142 to 152 targets. You know, he saw 147 last year and famously didn't catch a touchdown. Uh, and those those 50 receivers have averaged 7.26 touchdowns per season. If he had just caught five, he would have been the wide receiver 22 instead of the wide receiver 35 last year. His main his career touchdown to target rate was 4.9%. If he had just maintained that, it would have been the exact same number, 7.26 touchdowns. So, you know, I, I was expecting him to get to 6-7 touchdowns here. Uh, and and the, it seems like Kenny Pickett is a lot more comfortable. Uh, you know, he didn't pass particularly well last year. Certainly couldn't get many touchdowns. I think it was 12 total. And uh, I'm hoping he can double that number. And both Fryermuth and Deontay Johnson can benefit. All right. Do you have one more riser for us, John? I do. Uh, Jake Ferguson, uh, my favorite deep dive tight end, uh, starting for the for the the Cowboys this year. And I think he can deliver what uh, Dalton Schultz gave us the last couple seasons. Uh, He was, Dalton was of course the the tight end four, two years ago, tight end 10 last year. I think Ferguson is just as athletic. Uh, He's caught 11 of 11 targets from, from Dak Prescott for over a hundred yards last season. He's caught three of three targets this year in a starting role in the preseason uh, among the tight ends with at least 20 targets, Ferguson posted 1.79 yards per route run last year, the ninth highest at his position. And that's a good, that's really good for a rookie, and it's also a good indicator of future success. So, uh, with you know, I think his ADP has been a little bit depressed to start the year with Shoemaker being uh, drafted by the by the Cowboys, but he's been out with an injury. He came back, I think, for camp, but he's kind of behind the eight ball. He's certainly behind Ferguson right now, and I think uh, you're going to you know see Dak Prescott uh, target Jake Ferguson quite a bit. He's a pretty athletic uh, guy out of Wisconsin. And Ferguson, a guy who was available on waiver wires, even in like some of the deep dynasty leagues that I'm in, you could have got him for free over the summer, and I managed to do it in a couple leagues. Very happy about that. Some others that I think we could toss out quick here, uh, the Dolphins' backs, and this ties into that Jonathan Taylor thing, right? You thought that it was going to be Dalvin Cook or Taylor. They've dodged those bullets. However you have them ranked, I think you should be taking chances on Raheem Mostert and Jeff Wilson at their ADPs. And Devon A-Chain might be more of a, a second half of the season option. You know, he suffered that shoulder injury. He is back at practice, but we'll see if he can carve out a, a big enough role in the opening month or so to be fantasy relevant. He's more of a stash right now. I did want to comment on the Miami backfield a little bit because I did uh... – you know, dig into Jeff Wilson versus uh, Raheem Mostert there. Sure. And with a, uh, Devin A. Chain, the rookie there, kind of fading, like you thought that he was going to have a very big role, and it just seems like he can't get, you know, out of the bottom of that depth chart. They're not going to cut him or anything, but he's going to be probably RB3, RB4 uh, right now to start. And, you know, Wilson 
averaged uh, 15.2 touches, 76 yards, 0.67 touchdowns per game in the six non-injury games after being traded uh, to Miami. He outtouched Mostert in every non-injury game after joining the, the, the Dolphins last year. So he'd be my choice if you're, you're sitting there in the, whatever, 10th, 11th, 12th round, you need another running back. I think he's one, he's one that, if he can stay healthy, might lead that backfield in, in touches. All right. Well, that is all for today's show. Make sure you're checking out John's work over at 4 for 4. Make sure you're following him on X slash Twitter at 4 for 4 underscore John. And I joked off the top there about, you know, having a rivalry over the years, but I have nothing but respect for John and really all the analysts that were up at the top. They're fighting with us year after year. And I love John that we've gotten to know each other a little bit and we've even consulted each other on some career decisions back and forth that time. So thank you, man, for you know always jumping on when I've asked you to. And, uh, and before we get you out of here, I always like to give the guests an opportunity to direct people towards anything specific that you might be working on or anything that you want listeners to know about over at 444. Yeah, just check check out our rankings over there if you want a second opinion. And uh, happy to be on. Let's make this a, an annual thing, Justin. Absolutely. Awesome. Uh, as for me, I will be back with one more episode later in the week. But until then, big thanks again to John. Big thanks, everybody out there for listening. And we will see you next time. Said leave on time, my baby said leave on time. Leave on time with me tonight, I said leave on time.